check the mic and make sure it sound right, boys. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Jeremy Shear. The show is brought to you by Conversa, a podcasting agency that helps B2B brands start podcasts to connect with prospects, grow brand awareness, and create better content. So there was a lot of hype around generative AI when ChatGPT debuted really just a few months ago. A lot of chatter about how it was going to replace human writers and change the universe as we know it. But now that the dust has settled a little bit, I think there's been a bit of a backlash or the pendulum has swung the other way just a little bit. And there's kind of a growing consensus that maybe AI isn't quite so ready to totally take over for human writers and other creators, which kind of begs the question then, what exactly is generative AI good for if you're a content marketer in the B2B space? And to help us explore this question, my guest for this episode is Brad Smith. Brad is a serial entrepreneur who owns three companies, Codeless, Wordable, and Usurp, which are all in the B2B marketing space. So first, Brad, welcome to the show. Great to have you. Thank you, Jeremy. Looking forward to it. So first of all, do you agree with my assessment, uh, my little spiel about AI that you know maybe the pendulum has kind of swung back? That's what I'm sensing anyway, but what's your take? Yeah, I do agree completely. I think we were all very pleasantly surprised with what ChatGPT and now GPT-4 are capable of in terms of like actual writing and content creation. That being said, there's a big difference between writing common email templates and doing a lot of the heavy lifting that often B2B marketers need to actually persuade buyers. And yeah. I think that's where the, the nuance, where the rubber meets the road, I think, is where this disconnect kind of still exists. Yeah. In other words, relying too heavily on, you know, whatever app you're using to do the actual writing, do all your blog posts, all your white papers, whatever. I think people are realizing, yeah, it can do that, but it's not going to get you where you want to go. To my mind, whenever I do encounter things that are obviously written, you know, by AI, you can always tell, first of all, mm -hmm. and there's just yeah. something about it that I'm like, hmm that there's something off-putting about it to yeah. me. But it's hard, a little hard to put your finger on. Like, what is, what is it, do you think, that's like weird about that? It's because it's a robot that regurgitates information that already exists out in the world. What these technologies are often doing, especially these large language models, is they're basically just scanning and they're saying these words often are associated together when somebody looks for X or asks for X. And there's, yes, there's ways you can prompt it. There's ways you can customize it. There's ways you can personalize it. All with severe caveats, I would add. However, at the end of the day, a lot of the way these technologies work is simply by saying, when people search for what is Advil, let's recommend commonly words that are often associated together when people look for information about Advil. And, and that's why it comes across in that kind of like nameless, faceless tone because that's literally like kind of how it's created at the end of the day. Right. It's all built on probability, right? What is the next most common or obvious word that's supposed to come next based on exactly. everything I've been taught? And that would seem to inevitably lead to there's a certain kind of obviousness or like flatness to the to what it produces. It's it's that. And then it's also a complete lack of context and nuance. So it's mm, kind of that yeah. double-edged sword where it's on the one hand, to your point, expect it to show up. So maybe think of like a pop song 
or like a bad cliched movie. If you were to have AI currently write a script, it's going to be very cliched. It's going to be like the most cliched movie you've ever seen in your life, which may not be a bad thing. It might still be. And with a pop song, all pop songs are kind of cliched to yeah. one degree or another. So I'm not necessarily saying that's a bad thing in and of itself. However, on the B2B side of the spectrum, where we often rely on trust, persuasion, unpacking nuance so that an educated, sophisticated buyer or consumer can understand the differences between multiple alternatives or solutions, AI can't really grasp a lot of that and or get it across properly. And again, this is all heavily caveated by saying, you know, mm. five years from now, maybe it's a different story. However, yeah. today, it's pretty obvious that there's still a big disconnect between basic forms of generic writing and the type of content that's going to make people want to buy from you specifically and pay a premium and not yeah. your competitor. Right. I think the consensus seems to be that if you want to not be cliched, I mean, does anyone want to come across as a cliche? I, I would hope not. Right? right. And especially in a crowded market, you just can't, right? Like you don't have that luxury. I mean, you really have to do everything you can to stand out and AI alone left to its own yeah. devices just isn't there yet. Maybe it will be someday, but it's not there yet. And yet, though, this technology is incredibly powerful. It can do a lot more than write your blog post. So mm -hmm. in your view, what are the best use cases for generative AI at the moment, specifically in a B2B marketing context? I think of it a couple of different ways. It is very much still an AI plus human equation, meaning like AI plus writers and or editors and or polishers. So it's good because of how these models are built. It's very good at like black and white information, which tends to work really well in the B2B space for if you think of top of the funnel content. So education-based content, information-based content, it's not good at middle of the funnel, bottom of the funnel content, where you need nuance, you need to create complex arguments, you need to relate several different things together. And so if you think of this again, more like from a content perspective, could AI write very basic email sequences? Yes. Could it write, at least create the raw materials? Could it help you create the raw materials like a first draft or an outline for a top of the funnel blog post or article or white paper? That's just purely information. Like what is account-based marketing? This very mm -hmm. high level, top level kind of idea. Yeah, it can do that. Glossary type information, it can do, especially in the B2B world. So we work with like fintech companies as an example. And if one of those fintech companies has a glossary around what is a compound interest equation, it can answer stuff like that. Where it's not going to be useful is helping to understand the nuances of an investing approach for somebody in their mid-20s at a certain salary level versus somebody with a net worth of 10 million plus and owner of a company. Once you start getting into the weeds a little bit more like that and recommending personalized approaches, all, all that sort of nuance is lost often. And again, and that's because of what you were explaining before, because of how the technology works. It's not built for nuance, at least, or it's just not capable of it yet. Currently. Yeah, exactly. So it's almost like its greatest strength becomes its greatest weakness in a, in a lot of ways. Again, mm -hmm. when I'm thinking of like an actual practical day-to-day -day use case, the what allows it to instantly give you a very simple generic answer is because it scans so much data yeah. and then 
pulls it together faster. And especially if you use prompts cleverly, you can almost like tell it how to reply to you better. But th yeah. there's still a big difference between doing that and massaging what you get versus being able to put together some very coherent, complex argument. Again, if you're trying to sell, think of the difference between selling or using a piece of content, excuse me, to sell or aid the sales process of a commoditized product versus like a consultative sales cycle. They're two mm -hmm. like totally different stratospheres in terms of complexity and knowledge and expertise that's required. Yeah. Okay. So one issue then is the kind of content that it spits out simply isn't good enough for, yeah. for what you're describing. And there's something else about it that's kind of bothered me that I think maybe is a problem, but I wonder if I want to run it by you and see what you think. Yep. And kind of to put it shortly is that to me, like the act of writing, let's say, or creating content is, it's kind of the same thing as thinking, right? Or the two go hand in hand. And it's not like first you do all the thinking and then you thoughtlessly write everything down or whatever, right? It, it's all part of the same thing. In, in fact, they're so entwined that creating content is helps you think, right? Like it mm -hmm. helps you understand what you think and it sparks new yeah. ideas. And that if you abandon too much of that, even if you're not relying on a, I, let's say you're like, well, of course I'm going to edit what it outputs, but I'm going to still use it to get the outline or just get me started. Yeah. I'm like, as a trained writer and as someone who taught writing for a long time at the college level, I'm like, I don't know about that. Isn't that really important too? even just that planning phase of creating an outline or whatever? Like you have to think through that. And if you stop doing that and give too much to the AI, you won't improve at that. And you might even get worse. You'll kind of get yep. dumber because you're not exercising your brain in that way. You know what I mean? That bothers me, but I'm, I'm wondering if I'm just overthinking it or what do you think? No, completely. It's, it's almost like the difference between getting an answer and the right answer. ChatGPT or GPT-4 can give you, and the, all these other technologies that are similar, it can give you content on anything you want, frankly. Is it any good? Or is it the right piece of content at the right time? Or is it right for your audience? Or is it right for your solution or service? Probably not. And, and so that's where the, the distinction, and so how do you close that gap? To your point, it's about somebody who has the experience and the expertise using the tools better, or at least knowing when to simplify some approaches with these technologies, or conversely, when it's actually more beneficial to move slower, more methodically, do the heavy lifting, because the end result's going to be a lot better at the end of the day. The devil is often lost in the details, as they say. And to your point, the, the goal of a really good writer or a really good journalist or whatever is almost to be a chameleon a little bit where you understand the space so much and learn so much about the topic that you can then turn around and explain it better yeah. or, or more, more coherently or more entertainingly or whatever. So another really poignant example that I like to use is Anthony Bourdain. And the reason for that is because it's like, what would you call him? Would you call him a journalist, a writer, entertainer? It's kind of like all in one. Even if you like or don't like what he comes out of his mouth, you can't help but pay attention to it. And mm -hmm. at the end of the day, in the marketing space, that's kind of our goal is we need to get people to like care and have an opinion about what we do and watering it down through the use of technologies or uh, frankly, dumbing it down through the use of these technologies isn't always the best approach, even if it is often the cheapest or easiest or most convenient. It's almost another bad example, maybe would be like, like Ozempic, weight loss drugs are in the news right now. And those yeah. things are good 
on the one hand, but they're bad if they don't change the underlying habits that got people to there in the first place. So it's kind of this right. push and pull where it's like, yeah, you should definitely use it if you if it's going to help you. However, we need to worry about diet long term and exercise and lifestyle changes if it's going to be a long term sustainable thing. Yeah, right. A hundred percent. This technology has sort of taken everything so much by storm that it's easy to forget that it is brand new. I yeah. mean, we've only been playing around with this particular kind of generative AI for what, like six months, maybe eight months or something like that. I mean, it's so new on the scene and we're all just still kind of wrapping our heads around what can it do? What can it not do? I mean, it's, it's always, it's fun to speculate into the future. It's a little dangerous because who the hell knows, especially with yeah. something like this, that's moving so quickly. But, you know, I'm interested in your opinion though. Do you think it's only a matter of time before AI is at least way more capable of the kind of nuance we're talking about? I do and don't. I'm still on the fence. I think there will be obviously vast improvements. I think there will be obviously a lot of the other issues we can talk about, like this is kind of ripping people off. <laughs> this right. technology is kind of a copyright infringement, an IP infringement. And there's already class action lawsuits coming out. Someone else much smarter than me, I can't remember who, but said like Google wasn't the first search engine. There was like 20 right. other search engines before Google. We don't all know where this is going. And that's why it is very hard to speculate long-term. However, I do think there's fundamental problems or issues with trying to use technology or train it to like be funny and mm. personable and like heartwarming and Ultimately, even as B2B marketers, we like to think that B2B people only make rational decisions and logical decisions. But anyone who's like been in B2B long enough knows that people that we deal with are often just using logic and rationale and whatever to justify their feelings and their intuition. And so yeah. that's where I that's where I'm on the fence about it, because A, I don't I think it's way too early to speculate how the story unfolds in a lot of different ways, both legally, regulatory, a bunch of other things. But I also think I have a hard time agreeing that AI will produce something that makes me want to like care more about a brand than a person could. Because ultimately people still like other people. At the end of the day, in a B2B exchange, we're often buying the individual and their intangible nature and what they're selling as much as we're buying a product or a service or whatever else. Yeah. Sometimes I've got the question, how do you think AI is going to disrupt podcasting, let's say? And I'm like, well, you know, it already there are lots of platforms for helping with the production side. And yeah. those have been around for a while, actually. And then there are some newer ones. The one thing that I don't see it replacing is what we're doing right now. You know, yeah. two people talking, which is really at the heart of why people like podcasts or narrative podcasts or whatever, or monologues. You know, it's like that it's a real person talking in a kind of unscripted way or sometimes yeah. scripted if the script is really good. And that's the appeal. If you knew that, you know, would you listen to a podcast that was 100% AI generated, let's say? It's two AIs talking to each other. I, maybe? Yeah. But... It just sounds so unappealing on its face, doesn't it? It's awful. Yeah, I could not have. I mean, most business podcasts are awful to begin with because they're they're kind of like that already. Yeah. They're just like, they're, they're kind of already robotic and can and dumbed down and just dry. And 
they just touch the basics. They, yeah. they don't want to offend anybody. So they're like, they don't want to say the wrong thing or they don't want to allow the ums and the ahs and the you knows that, that form a human interaction. There, there's already so many things. So I, I think it'll, it'll often, with podcasting specifically as an example, it'll make vast improvements to the production cycle for people that already know what they're doing and can yeah. leverage it in a much better way. It can like 10x someone who's already really good. Yeah. Is it going to really make it more interesting of a listen or entertaining of a listen or make me like, again, emotionally care? I don't think so because even think about like, what are, what's, you know, what's a really good TV show that's come out in the last 10 years. One example of that was that I came off the top of my head was like Piggy Blinders. Mm-hmm. Cause it's such a like random mix of different elements that yeah. how would AI, how would AI pull together a period piece that's American mafia godfathery, but set in England, like after the first world war. Yeah. And then we're going to overlay like contemporary pop music kind of over it. All these things like don't make sense, but right. it works. It, like when you watch it, it works, but all the underlying stuff underneath that, you're just like, if you read that on a piece of paper, or if you tried to create an equation to, to generate that as the end result, how would you do that? Cause it's, it's seemingly contradictory. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. And I think Peaky Blinders is a good example. Cause right. That's a show that it's a really good show and kind of surprisingly, right. If you just described what it is, you might be like, either that just sounds weird or whatever. And there could be many versions of a show like Peaky Blinders that that are bad, yeah, right? That just don't work for all kinds of reasons. And one of the main reasons with anything like that, with any kind of show, is the actors, right? The yeah. talent, the human performers, and they bring all the nuance to it and bring it to life. If the actors are bad, then it's going to yeah. be bad, right? And like yeah. AI, it can't do anything even close to that. You know, it yeah. doesn't. I stumbled across at one point, I think this was on LinkedIn, someone had created using AI, a podcast discussion between Elon Musk and Steve Jobs. And I'm like, okay, well, I got to check it out at least. And it was just, it was many things at once. On the one hand, it was mighty impressive that anything like this could exist at all. Because it sounded like Elon Musk, it kind of sounded like Steve Jobs. And they were having some kind of discussion, but at the same time, it was incredibly weird. Yeah. (laughs) And ultimately, like, I don't ever want to hear that again. There's like an uncanny valley sort of kind of, you know, element to it where it's just like something is off here. It's almost human, but not quite. It's almost like a caricature or it's like a character of real life. It's not like real life. It's it's just this, this weird and that's the human element, the human intangible element, where it's like people are fundamentally flawed and hypocritical and contradictory and live in this gray area. And one thing can simultaneously both be disgusting or offensive, but touching mm. and heartwarming at the same time. And that's, it's like, how, how do you, again, how do you create a formula for that? There, there's not a, an obvious answer to me. And that's where, again, I think there will be massive improvements in these technologies. Don't get me wrong. At the end of the day, I don't see or understand how this completely disrupts the need for humans wanting to listen and or interact with other humans at the end of the day. Right. And if it does, that might be a sad world, like dystopian future that yeah, like none of us want to be a part of, frankly. Right. 
Now, a skeptic might say, like, well, that's a very human way to think, isn't it? Yeah. Us humans are pretty self-interested in not being replaced by by robots. But so on the one hand, I'm like, I agree with you. And then the other hand, it's kind of like, I hope you're right. I'm definitely biased towards wanting that to be correct. Yeah. For sure. And I, I guess yeah. we'll see. I mean, it's we are in the top of the first inning with this stuff. So totally. You know. It's yeah, another maybe another bad example too, but like Oculus from Facebook, what is all that nonsense called? The metaverse. So it's like yeah. you you can see this reality ten years from now where the metaverse is like a thing and more people unplug from real world, real life, so to speak, and channel more of their attention and energy into that world because they can kind of create their own world and there's yeah. a lot of other like you know frankly depressing social elements that probably play into that where it's just like we're, we're going through rough times and people need help and the help's not always there and, and so there's that yeah. explanation but then the other explanation is i fortunately get to sit here and look outside my window uh, and i live in hawaii and i'm like why would i ever spend any time in the metaverse when i could just go outside here hey. like nothing you could show me in the metaverse is gonna like be stepping outside these worlds will exist whether or not they're the right fit for everybody, I'm not sure. And I'm not certain that there will be like one common suggestion or solution for everybody. Mm -hmm. I think it will be a lot more individualized where, especially again, for B2B brands and having sold a lot of B2B services and all this other stuff, you, you can't, I can't overstate the human interaction. Like any time in B2B marketing and sales, the more you try to scale something, the less good it becomes or the worse yeah. the results get in proportion because you're having to scale things that otherwise a human interaction is probably optimal. The, the bandwidth problem is always just like cost or time or whatever, yeah. but it's, it's a better end result. If you can get on the phone with somebody and talk to them, yeah. or if you can write a personal email to somebody, it's almost always better in that scenario. If you can personalize it, people often don't or can't because of these other constraints that are often self-inflicted. Right. It's, yeah. And when you try to scale, right, then you, you, you start getting into like mass email campaigns and it's just yeah. the, the bigger it gets, the fewer like one-on-one -on -one interactions you're going to have. Right. And yeah. I think about it this way sometimes that if you look at like the long, deep history of human communication and communication technology, we started with, if you go back millions of years or whatever to proto-humans with, there was only one way and that was face-to-face -face yeah. grunt, grunting or like whatever proto-language, you know, early humans spoke. And then as you fast forward in time, it gets more and more complex, right? There's like yeah. drum signals and then the, the printing press and fast forward all the way to today and we have chat GPT and it's like, whoa. And with each new advance, there's a backlash it's going to cause all these problems and a lot of hype around how it's going to advance things. But I think there's an irony, which always sticks out to me, that no matter how far we've come and how sophisticated the technology has become, sort of like the iPhone or the chat GPT at its apex, still, I think, obviously, as you just said, the most effective form of communication, whether it's just getting to know someone or doing business, is the most ancient, simple one of face-to-face -face talking or yeah. at least talking on the phone, nothing really, in my experience, at least nothing really comes close to outdoing that. Yep. A friend of mine was talking about his in-law who was really good at sales, you know, 50 years ago for like oil companies and in the Midwest, like very old school. Yeah. He relayed this anecdote to me that the best thing you could possibly do at the beginning of a sales interaction 
is to just look around somebody's office and comment on something that is seemingly important to them because yeah. it starts to build that rapport. And it's doing that not by asking canned questions, but by actually intuitively understanding what this person seemingly cares about because they have like, I don't know, a sports team logo behind their back or whatever. So you're starting a sales process by talking about something that has nothing to do with what you came to sell. Yeah. And like that is so counterintuitive, again, unless you've actually done this a lot and you've done yeah. enterprise sales or whatever, and you actually understand like, no, this is what helps. Like this is what matters is people want to buy from other people. And yeah. that has a big influence over whether or not somebody goes with you, regardless of pricing, features, benefits, all the kind of table stakes. Yeah. That's just so true, right? I mean, you are talking to a, a, a human being a fellow human being and who doesn't like to be asked about their grandchild or, you know, Oh, do you have a guitar in the background? What do you play? What kind of guitar is that? That's just an enjoyable, it, it's enjoyable, but it also is, has great utility too. Yeah. Right. I mean, so, for anyone who really knows sales, just to be human for a few yeah. minutes before jumping into the business part. Exactly. So it's like, could you use big data to scan what websites these people visited before they got to your site and you saw they went to, ESPN to check out college football scores. Yes, you, you can technically, yes, you can get a lot of that data. Can you create like personalized interactions for all these things at scale with a similar level of meaning? I'm, I'm skeptical of. And so again, I think that's where it's, it gets complicated in that, and again, in B2B sales, especially like the more enterprise you go or the more complex the product is or whatever, yeah. the more human element and touch and personalization is important. And the less scale-oriented approach, mass communication approach, tends to work. And yeah. so it's kind of like, again, can you use these technologies to do a lot of this stuff? Yeah, of course you can. Is it better? Maybe, maybe not. Yeah. Well, that might be, you know, I have no doubt the AI wizards are hard at work. They've thought about all this, I'm assuming, and are experimenting and seeing what they can do. I mean, it seems like the goal is on kind of how human can we make this? Like how close can we get to what you're describing? And I guess we'll find out however long that might take, but it's all fascinating and it's a interesting time to be alive and inter interesting time to be in B2B marketing. It is. It is. I think the, the, the good news is, again, there's a tremendous amount of potential and this stuff if you are, and this is maybe a, a conversation for another day, but if you are already good at what you do, there are huge gains to be seen from these technologies in performance improvements, but they're not the end all be all yet. Uh, it's still very early. There's still a lot of hurdles and issues with not just regulations, but legal and other things. I think the important point to understand too, and just maybe to focus on is less about what can chat GPT do or GPT. GPT-4 do, what can the next iteration do? More like how is human behavior going to adopt and evolve over the next couple of years in terms of how they search for things, what kind of content they want to consume and why, how does the behavior change over time as, as these technologies become more immersive in our daily life? I think that'll be more instructive ultimately like where we're going as opposed to, like I said, just understanding how to use a prompt in ChatGPT today. It's, it's helpful to a point, but it's not quite the finished article, yeah. metaphorically and literally. Yeah, well, that's a really interesting way of putting it. So Brad, just kind of wrapping up, what's the best way for people to connect with you? 
Best way to connect with me probably is through my site at bradsmith.io. I have a newsletter that goes out every now and then. There's some links to some of the companies that I'm an owner in and some of the people I work with in there. I'm not the most social media savvy. And so I would advise you not to go check me out on most places that most people recommend. But bradsmith.io, I'm also on LinkedIn at Brad Smith, which is a incredibly generic name. But if you typed <laughs> in anything related to Brad Smith and content or SEO, then my face will unfortunately probably pop up in front of you. You'll come up. Okay, well, we'll put all, all those links in the show notes. And thanks for an awesome conversation. A conversation that, by the way, ChatGPT had no part in and can never <laughs> have any part in. So thank you. Yeah, I was going to say fortunately or unfortunately, but it's glad. Yeah, thank you again for having me. It's glad to see that, that there's still time uh, yeah. for, this sort of, for this sort of old school interchange of people actually talking to people, not asynchronously yep. or through text. Indeed. Thanks again. That's it for this episode of the B2B Content Show. You can subscribe anywhere you get podcasts on any podcast app. And while you're at it, you might as well give the show five stars and leave an over-the-top comment about how much you love the podcast. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or you know someone who you think would be a great guest, let us know. You can contact me at jeremy at conversa.com. That's C-O-N-N-Versa.com. The B2B Content Show is brought to you by Conversa Podcasting. Check us out at conversa.com to learn more about how we help B2B brands start podcasts to connect through conversation with the buyers and decision makers you need to get to know to grow your business. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.